0: pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you just for this time uh, of worship, of being together. And uh, God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would teach us and show us, help us um, to really take a good self-examination of our own lives um, and what our lives look like in relationship to you and in relationship to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was three years and 11 months ago to the day, today, February 11th, that COVID hit the world, right? It was March 11th, and you may remember, I mean, that was March 11th was like a very significant day. The NBA was canceled. The stock market was crashing. They were canceling the NCAA tournament. Uh, I remember we got calls, don't send your kids back to school. We were on vacation, actually, and got a call from our son's college that said, don't come back from vacation. So that was three years and 11 months ago today. And as we look back on COVID and and that time, especially those first kind of, you know, three, six, nine months or so of COVID, there was a lot of difficulty when it came to COVID, right? The stock market crashed. Kids didn't go to school. There were mandates. They had to stay home. People lost their jobs. There was Uh, just emotional and depression and kind of mental health issues that were magnified. There was more divorces filed in that time period. There was a lot of stuff. There was division as far as like masks and no masks and get the vaccine and don't get the vaccine. There was a lot of difficulty in that period. And we don't typically look back at that period with very much fondness. However, I think for many of us, there was sort of a high point. And it was this, is that we were forced to stop hurrying around, that we had this sort of forced slowdown because youth sports weren't happening, because gatherings weren't happening, because you just, you couldn't go out as much. And we didn't hurry around nearly as much as we do in a typical kind of time. I mean, the only hurry that we did is we, you know, we took off our nighttime pajamas and we put on our daytime pajamas, right? Like that was the hurry. And we didn't even hurry when we did that. Today, we're beginning a new sermon series, and it's titled, No More Hurry. And my hope and my goal and my prayer for this series is that instead of a hurry list or a slowing down being forced upon us by this virus that happened almost four years ago, that instead that we would look at our lives and make some choices about what would it look like to eliminate hurry in our lives. I love uh, Jeff Foxworthy's comedy sketch, you might be a redneck if, you know, you might be a redneck if, he's got that accent, "If if (laughs) if your home is mobile, but most of your cars aren't, you might be a redneck. You might be a redneck if fifth grade was your senior year. And you might be a redneck if you go outside to get something out of the fridge. You might be a redneck if. In like vein, you might have a problem with hurry if. You are bothered when you don't pick the fastest line at the grocery store. You're the learner and go, oh, I should have been in that line. They got the blue shirts ahead of me. Oh, the lady with the babies ahead of me, right? If that's, you may have a hurry problem if that's you. You may have a hurry problem if you don't go to the grocery store anymore and you're filled with pride because, oh, no, we do click it now. So, you know, you may have a hurry problem for a different reason there. You may have a hurry problem if when you reheat your coffee or your hot chocolate for 20 seconds, you find something else to do at the same time to fill that time. You may have a hurry problem if you use two-in-one shampoo to save time with conditioning and shampooing. (laughs) And you may have a hurry problem if you use a conference call as an opportunity to multitask. Right. So those are things that I'm guilty of. Some of you are guilty of those. But these are just kind of different things. Um, and I'm kind of poking fun at myself and us with these things when it comes to hurry. But the fact is that as we look at hurry in our lives and over busyness and over stress and just over, over all of that stuff, there are some more serious issues and symptoms that come out of that. You know, you've got to, one of the things is if, if you never feel like you have enough time to do everything that you want to do. That's a hurry problem. Or everything you feel like you need to do, that's a hurry problem. If you find yourself rushing from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and just jam packing everything together, that's a hurry problem. If you find that you're doing so much that things that you would normally enjoy, you don't enjoy because you don't have the time to actually enjoy them because you're thinking about the next thing to do. Or if there's so many things that feel like obligation in your life that you can't do things that you enjoy then you have a hurry problem or if a lack of time if you think gosh if there's 26 hours in the day i'd be better but if a lack of time causes you stress and anxiety because there's not enough time to do what you feel needs to be done that's a hurry problem you know and sometimes Some of us have hurry problems because we're saying yes to too many good things, right? Like there's all these good things, and I say yes to all of them, but when you put them all together, it's like, well, now my life is over full, and I'm not enjoying all these good things that I said yes to. And the other thing that suffers when it it comes to hurry is our relationships, that we end up hurrying through relationships or we're so busy doing other stuff that we can't give the time that we want to or that we need to or that we should to the relationships that are most important because we're hurrying and bustling doing all of these other things. And so in our relationships, we end up being short with people. We end up lacking compassion. We end up lacking grace. We end up lacking the time to actually care deeply for those who we want to and should care deeply about. Here's what the book of Proverbs says about hurry. This is Proverbs 21 5. It says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. It kind of draws a distinction in this verse. The plans of the diligent lead to abundance that when we plan when we're diligent when we think ahead about what we want to do and what life is to be about when we do that then we live this life of abundance but when everyone who is hasty when we hurry about doing life it says life comes and it's about poverty and it's not talking necessarily about financial rich and poverty although that could be a consequence but we just have a poverty of life a life-suckingness that comes because we're hurrying through it in our relationships and the things that matter, things that we value in life. But when there's planning, when there's diligence, when there's thought ahead of time about what I want my life to look like, well then that's a life of abundance. Now I recognize that in a room this size with people people are coming from all different places, and there's some of you, and I might even put myself in this category, it's like I like to hurry. I like to be busy. I like to get stuff accomplished. I like to go, 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 go. Right? But you see, here's the problem with that, is that when we go, go, go all the time and accomplish, accomplish, that we miss out on the things that God wants us to do. Sometimes when it comes to hurry, we're like, you know what, it's just a season. Like, it's just basketball season. Well, it's just baseball season. It's just it's just tax season. It's just this season. And we say, well, it's just a season. That's why I'm hurried, but I'll be out of it eventually. But the thing is, I think what happens with a lot of us, and this is those of us who kind of justify being hurried all the time and go, go, go. The, the problem with that is we end up with season and a couple of days off, and then the next season, and season. And if we're having back-to-back seasons, then we have a hurry problem. Or if you think a season means three or four years long, that's a hurry problem. I can remember one of the most hurried times uh, in my life. It was uh, I was coaching tennis, uh, University of Charleston, and uh, we have, because of how we can get court time in the winter we have to practice inside and we practice at night pretty late at night usually from 9 to ten thirty or uh, 9 30 to 11 at night i was doing that four days a week um and when i come home from practicing i'm, I'm sweaty so i take a shower and just whenever i exercise it just takes me a, a, a while to kind of let my body relax and so i wouldn't get to bed until 1 1 sometimes after a tennis practice and in this season uh, of life uh, my wife, Stacy, was also te- uh, doing kind of a part-time thing. She would go around to different schools uh, in southern West Virginia and she would do testing for kids in these schools. And she would have to meet at a park and ride to meet the other teachers going to whatever school it was at between 5.30 and 6 every morning. And we had four kids at home and so I had to get up with the kids after having gone to bed at about 1, one thirty in the morning, four nights a week. And it was hard. Like, it was really difficult And it was one of those things that I could see the weight of what was going on in my relationships. I was short with Stacy. I was short with our kids. Things that I normally would have enjoyed, like, hey, we get to go to Riley's basketball game. I'm like, another basketball game, right? Because everything was just compacted. Now, it was a season. It was about six weeks long, and we didn't do it again. We figured things out for the next year. But it was just hard, and that's the reality that sometimes we live in. And if it's a season, we can see the the light at the end of the tunnel, right? But if it's season after season after season, we go, we need to make some major changes to this and to slow down. So what we're going to do this morning is I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at uh, about four verses in this chapter. And I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And so this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says this Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. If we're going to eliminate hurry from our lives, the first thing we need to do, as this says, is we need to look carefully at how we walk. And when it comes to hurry, there are so many things that overlap. It's not just like it's a time management thing. It's an overarching thing where there's a lot of different things that are interwoven together. So look carefully. We need to look carefully. We need to examine the goals in our lives. We need how we spend money. We need to examine the goals and desires that we have for our children. God. We need to examine the work, both how we spend there, we need to examine what we do on the weekends, what we do in the evenings. We need to have a thorough examination, even of how we spend money and don't spend money. All of that overlaps when we talk about dealing with the... ...as unwise, but as wise. And and sometimes when you look at the Bible, what it doesn't say can be as as helpful, can be as as helpful as what it does say. Here's what it doesn't say. It does making wise choices between two good things. It's not I mean, we want to make wise choices about what is sinful and what is not sinful, right? But what this is saying is it's saying we need to have some decision, some, some wisdom with the decisions about how we handle all these different things that we are examining. You know, when we, when we talk about eliminating hurry and no more hurry, there's a difference between hurry and being busy, okay? And, and I even think the word busy kind of falls in two different categories. In other words, there is a toxic busyness where we are just doing, doing, doing all the time, things that are kind of meaningless or filled time or whatever it is, obligations, whatever it is, but there is a toxic busyness. But there's also healthy busyness, or to be busy doing good things. And we need to kind of understand that. Because when I first started to look at this and and eliminate hurry, there was a bit of me that didn't like that. In other words, like I, I see value in being productive for what God wants us to do. And so there's a part of me that was kind of reluctant to look at this idea of eliminating hurry because I don't want to be lazy. Like, this is not like, hey, let's all just be lazy. Let's all just do nothing. Let's all nap 24 hours a day. Let's all—it's not what that's about. There's a toxic busyness, which is hurry, and that's what we're talking about, eliminating that, getting rid of that in our lives. But then there's also this idea of what does God want us to do, and how do we fill the time in our lives? I love what Bob Goff says about the subject. He says this. He says, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And I I love the insightfulness of that quote. Like, I don't want to succeed and put a lot of time and effort and energy and thought and money and whatever into things that don't matter in the kingdom of God, of things that don't matter For reality of life so then it continues on verse 16 it says make the best use of the time because the days are evil so paul wrote this in the first century and the days were evil he could look around at what was going on at ephesus and there were things that were evil and the same is true in 2024 that we can look around our world, our community, our state, and we go, there are some evil things out there. There are some problematic things that are out there. Everything from drug addiction to sex trafficking to kids who can't read to the foster care system that is overwhelmed by kids to relationships that are abusive to mental illness to homelessness. And the list goes on and on. And some of those things are self-inflicted and some of those people are just the victim of somebody else's bad choices and sinful choices. And so when it says the days are evil, make the best use of time about how are you going to lean into these things that are evil. And that's what it says next. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, this is verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not just like, hey, what is God's will overall? It's it's connected to because the days are evil. Because there is evil and difficulty and problems in our world, understand what is the Lord's will for you. Because God wants us to lean into these problems because the days are evil. Let me read that list again to you. And this is just kind of my quick thought list. Drug addiction, sex trafficking kids who can't read, foster care system that's overwhelmed, abusive relationships, mental illness, homelessness, and there is so many more than that, right? And here's the thing, is, is I look at that list, and I drive through town, and I think about all that, that, that's going on, and it's like, I will become toxically overwhelmed if I try and solve all of those problems. I just can't, I just can't do it all. But here's what we can do, is we can lean into one of those things, or maybe two of those things, and say, you know what, I can make a difference with kids who can't read and don't have a good education. I can make a difference with homelessness. I can make a difference with people who are incarcerated. I can make a difference, and we lean into that. We can't do it all, but we can lean into something then here's the next verse, verse 18. It it sort of seems out of place, but when we put it in context, we go, oh, that makes sense. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You go, that's a little bit odd. Why is Paul talking about the sin of drunkenness in the middle of this passage? But he does so with intention, right? He says, do not get drunk with wine, right? Do not get drunk with wine or chardonnay or hard seltzer or Jägermeister or whatever. It says, don't be drunk with that. Because what happens when we get drunk with those things, right? When we get drunk, those control us, right? How many of us have made bad decisions because that was in us, right? But then we look at the flip side and it said, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the, the way that it works is the Holy Spirit is to be our guide in life to help us to lean into to know what to lean into so that's why paul puts this here he's saying what is it that's going to guide your life what are the things that are going to make your decisions day by day is it spirits inside of you or is it the holy spirit who lives and dwells in you in the um bumper video that we watched earlier is the kind of the hurriness of that bumper video um, built. There's a quote that was put in there that I want to point out. It said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. It's by a guy named Dallas Willard. Um, John Mark Comer wrote a book by the same title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you want a book that kind of goes along with this series, uh, that's a great book That really um, just brings out so many great points i'm actually going to quote him a little bit later but the idea here is we go we need to eliminate hurry and so what we're going to do over these next four weeks is we're going to look at four different things that are going to help us to eliminate hurry in our lives the toxic hurry in our lives solitude sabbath simplicity and slowing. Those four things. And even with solitude, we got a bit of a taste of that in the, in the worship service today. That just, that calming, that quiet before the Lord. And so I want to talk the rest of the time this morning about solitude and what does that look like in our lives. So Matthew six thirty three says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. In order to eliminate hurry in our lives, we need to put first things first, putting Jesus first, and what does that look like? And I want to talk about that in the specifics of hurry, but I want to talk about that first when we talk about the overall kind of macro of life. What does it mean to seek first God and his righteousness? Because you see, God created us to be in relationship with Him. That's how God creates, to be in right relationship with Him. But the problem is that we sin, that all of us have committed sins, and we have broken that relationship. And there's a penalty for breaking that relationship. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That because we break this relationship that God started and put us in, because we break that relationship, the penalty is death, spiritual death physical death, eternal death, separation from God for all eternity. But God still wanted to have relationship with us, and so he solved the problem by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life, that we can have eternal life. We can have right relationship with God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But there's a decision to be made. You see, Paul in this letter to the Romans, he calls it a gift. If somebody gives you a gift, there's something that needs to happen. That we need to receive the gift. We get offered a gift, but we don't have to take it. And so what God is doing is he's offering you a gift. The gift of eternal life. And if you're here this morning and if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never received the gift of eternal life, received the gift of a relationship with God through Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And I heard it explained to me once upon a time, that it's as easy as A-B-C. A means admit that we're sinful and separated from God. B is believe in Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins. And C is commit all that I know of myself to all that I know of God. And so if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ and would like to do that, I want to give you that opportunity. I just want to pause in the middle of the sermon now and give you that opportunity to do that. If I could ask everybody just to bow your head for a moment. And if you're ready to place your faith in Christ, pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am sinful. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins in my place and i now commit all that i know of myself to all that i know of you amen now that prayer it doesn't matter the exact words that you say but that is a prayer if you pray that prayer that beginning a relationship with christ and if you prayed that prayer this morning i encourage you to see me after the service just for a moment i've got a little something to give you to help you get started on that new walk with christ and I want to go back to the verse we were looking at, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we looked at it on the large scale. Seek first Jesus first in my life with my salvation, right? But I want to look at it in more of a micro sense of what does it mean to seek Jesus first in the day-to-day of my life? And that's where it comes to this idea of solitude. Jesus gives us probably, or not probably Jesus gives us the best example of what solitude looks like. This is from Mark 1:35. It says, "And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he that's Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed." It gives us a very practical example of Jesus practicing solitude. In his own life, so that he didn't live a life of hurry, rising early in the morning. And I and I picked this verse. um, And there's a lot of times where it says similar things to this, where it talks about Jesus going off to a solitary place. Jesus went up on a mountain. Jesus did. It's it's in there a number of times. But I picked this one for two reasons. The first is this: is it tells us that he got up early in the morning. And I think there's something valuable about rising early in the morning. There's a psalm that echoes this as well. This is Psalm 143, verse 8. It says this, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. So it says, Let, me bring, let the morning bring word of your unfailing love. So in the morning, I'm going to do this. And this psalm is amazing. It says, In the morning, show me of your unfailing love. Like, let me know of how much you love me. Let me know of your grace, of your compassion. It is seeing God for who he is. In the morning, I want to see that first thing in the morning. And then it also says, and show me the way to go. Show me the way that I should go. And so first thing in the morning, we're saying, God, show me where to go. Show me what to do today. Show me what to do this week. Help to order my day that I make wise decisions and not unwise decisions with my time, with my relationship, with everything that I do. And the thing about this is, again, I love this idea of in the morning, because when it's in the morning, we start our day with God and he guides the rest of our day. And when we start our time with God in the morning and have this daily time, we're never more than 24 hours away from God speaking to us. Have you ever thought about that? Like if you spend regular time with God, whether it's in the morning or some other time, you're never more than 24 hours away from God speaking into your life, of reminding you of his unfailing love, of reminding you of his compassion, of reminding you of his commands, of his promises. And never more than 24 hours Away from being able to say, Order my days, show me how to live this day. So there's two reasons why I picked this verse from Matthew or from Mark 135. Um, one is it says he rises early in the morning. The other reason I picked this among the other ones where Jesus spends solitude time with his father is because of the context. And I love the context of how this comes. So here's what comes before this. This is Mark 132 to 34. It says. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. So that's the day before. Incredibly busy day. Ministry is booming. People are bringing sick people, are bringing, he's getting to heal and teach. I mean, all, ministry is absolutely booming, right? He may be even feeling a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit hurried. And so what does he do? He goes and spends time in solitude early the next morning with his father. And then look what happens next. This is verse 36. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. Ministry's booming. Everybody wants to be with Jesus, but he says, let's go. Let's move on. You see, Jesus slowed down, so to speak, and allowed the Holy Spirit, allowed his Father to speak to him And his father said, it's time to move on. And that decision didn't make a whole lot of sense because ministry is booming. Why would you move on? But he slowed down enough in prayer to hear his father say, it's time. Let's go to the next town. I want us to have that same practice, to be able to slow down every day and hear from God in the silence, in the listening through his word to slow down and to make that solitude a practice in our lives. A couple of resources that may be helpful for you. On the lobby, we have a, a black table out there next to one of the pillars. Uh, and there's a, something called the Riverage Daily. And the Riverage Daily is basically uh, just a piece of paper, gives you a chapter reading, some things to ask yourself as you're reading the chapter. You might want to go through that. There's also out there, there's some bookmarks, uh, 40 days of this, 40 days of that. Maybe you want to do that, and that'll help you to start on the right path. Um, the visual behind me is called UVersion. There's an app that you can download on your phone. We have a Mac or an Android or an iPhone or an Android phone. But you download this, and it's got the Bible there, but it has all of these reading plans, like thousands and thousands of reading plans that are as short as like three days and as long as months. And you say, hey, I want to learn about prayer. I want to learn about not being so busy. I want to learn about stress. You can just search it, and it'll put you on a reading plan. But that's an opportunity for you to have the solitude before God. Now, I want to speak to just a few of you as we close up here. There are some of you that have been doing solitude for a long time, and I want to give you kind of solitude 2.0 and give you five suggestions Uh, And don't do all of them, but maybe pick one or pick two and say, hey, I want to add this to what my solitude, what my quiet time, what my devotional time with God already looks like. So the first one is consider reading the study notes at the bottom of your Bible. right? Instead of just reading the passage, read the study notes and see what else you can dig and learn from what's included there. Here's the second uh, idea, is add a time of listening to your solitude time. Right? So pray, read the Bible, but just allow yourself to be quiet like we were earlier today. Just to be quiet and hear from the Lord. Here's another idea. Is read a chapter of a good Christian book on top of it? This? this is something that I started uh, actually over COVID. And so I read the scriptures, write some stuff down, and then I read a chapter or a portion of a chapter. Maybe you add that. Another word is um, memorizing. Maybe add memorizing scripture to your time of solitude. And the fifth idea is add journaling. Just jot down the things that you're learning. If that's not a practice that you do, to write some things down. Again, those are just kind of solitude 2.0 things that if you've been at this for a while, something to maybe grow. Because we talk about this a lot, a lot at River Ridge. Taking your next steps in your journey with God. And so if solitude with God is a part of your life already, well, what would the next level of solitude? What's the next step with you and solitude? I want to close with this. At River Ridge, we talk a lot about loving people, right? We talk a lot about loving those who are close to us, loving those in the church family, loving those who are far from God, right? We talk about love a lot. But I came across this quote that's on the screen from John Mark Comer, and I really just, it, it spoke to me. Hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. When we are hurrying through life, we cannot slow down enough to love people well, to love our family, to love people who are far from God and everybody in between. And so because we want to love well, we want to eliminate hurry from our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. And God, I pray that you would teach us and show us and and keep bringing examples this week into our lives of when we are hurrying too much and we lack love, but also give us examples in our lives when we slow down and we seek you in solitude and we see a difference in our lives and how we treat people. Father, I ask that you would help us to slow down so that we might do the things that you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.